Well, to all of the dads in the room, happy Father's Day. We are celebrating you today. Can we just put our hands together again for all of the dads in the room? We are excited that you're here. And if you're our guest, if you're new to NCC or this is your first time or you're watching online, we want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And I've been the lead pastor here about four and a half years. And I'm glad that I get to speak this Father's Day. In case you don't know a lot about me, I am a dad. I have eight kids, okay, which I know may seem like quite a bit, and it makes our life a little bit crazy. I've been a father for about 19 years, which is going to make this next statement seem weird. Our oldest is 33. Our youngest is eight. I know some of you are trying to do the math really quick in your head, um, but what that means is part of our story as a family is adoption. So God has blessed our family by adding to our family through adoption. And so um, as a young teenage or as, as a young person, I was 20 years old and trying to raise um, a junior high student through adoption. And that was part of our story. And then we've had um, four more of our own and then um, three more that we've also adopted along with our oldest son. And so it makes our life pretty crazy. But um, I want to share with you just some lessons that I've learned along the way and lessons that we see from scripture this morning. And as I jump into this, um, I'm not jumping in as a perfect dad. And so I don't think there are any perfect dads, but I think that there are things that we can learn. And as we talk about Father's Day, once again, I, I just want to address um, some, some people in the room that as we speak about Father's Day, there may be those of you in this room that don't know your dad. And so you've never had a dad in your life. And so that can make today a little bit difficult as we talk about this. And even if you're raising your own kids now, it can make it hard because you've not had that example. And then there are others of you in this room that maybe you've lost your dad. And so today is difficult because you've lost someone that was there in your life, or maybe you've lost a kid. And so today is really hard because you can't pick up the phone and make that phone call and hear their voice. And so today becomes difficult. Maybe some of you in this room, honestly, you don't like your dad. And so there's broken relationship. And so as we talk about Father's Day, it, it's hard. And no matter what situation you're in, in this room, whether one day you want to be a father, whether your kids are already moved out, God sees exactly where you're at in your life. And if today is a difficult day for you, I want you to just hear that. And we're going to talk about that at the end of service, that we have a heavenly father who walks through the difficulties, the pain and the hurt of our life with us, and that he is there to encourage us. And he is the picture of what a perfect father is. And so I just want to share with you today some thoughts about fatherhood. And my hope is that everyone in this room, not just dads, so don't check out if you're, if you're not a dad, but everyone in this room, that you could take some of this of what's being shared today and apply it to your life. Now, once again, I've learned a lot along my way um, in the past 19 years. Not everything has gone well. I remember whenever um, we first adopted our kids, um, our three, three adopted kids that we have with us right now, they, um, they were younger and Aiden, our little guy, was just potty training. And we were in that stage, if you've ever been there, where sometimes we had the diaper bag, sometimes we didn't because we'd have accidents, but for the most part, he, he could handle going to the bathroom. We had him at the hospital, he had broken his arm and we were getting the cast off. And so I was there, I was on dad duty that day, and I went and I forgot the diaper bag. I'm sitting in the waiting room and all of a sudden, I can't remember if he said something or if I smelled something, but I knew Aiden had had an accident. And so I take him into the bathroom, and then that realization hits, I don't have a clean diaper. 
And I don't have any clean underwear to put on him. And so I throw away the diaper. Um, I don't have baby wipes, so I'm using paper towels and soaps and water. If Maybe dads have done this in the room. And I get him cleaned up. I put the clothes back on him. And I'm talking to him, buddy, you cannot have another accident, okay? Or we're going to be in some serious trouble here. And so they take us back to our room. And we're in there for a moment before the doctor comes in. And Aiden looks at me and he says, dad, I got to go to the bathroom really bad again. And so I'm in sprint mode. I take off down the hall and we don't make it to the bathroom, you guys. Aiden has an accident. And I'm not talking about a little accident. I'm talking about throw away the clothes accident. So we got in the bathroom. I mean, he's covered, you guys. His Laura is covered. I'm panicked. I don't know what to do. So I, I take away the clothes. I just throw them in the trash can. I take paper towels again. I wipe them down. And what do I do? I call my wife. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so she calls the front desk and they bring in a diaper and he leaves in a hospital gown because it was the only clean clothes that we had. So I had him wrapped up. And that's what life has been like a lot. It's been those kind of moments where I make mistakes, where I learn along the way, some of them comical, um, some of them more serious, where I've had to apologize to my kids and say, hey, I'm not perfect. I messed up here. I'm trying to get better as a dad. And I think that's the way it is with a lot of us as, as parents, just as people in general, we make mistakes and, and we learn along the way. And none of us are perfect. None of us had the perfect father growing up. There were mistakes, no matter how great your parents were, there were mistakes that they made. But I want us to learn lessons from an imperfect father as we look at scripture today and see things that we can take away in our life. And so I just want to be clear, I'm not up here saying, hey, I've got it all figured out, even what I'm going to share with you. I'm learning. I make mistakes. I grow. You can ask any of my kids. They hear me apologize a lot because I don't have it figured out. But, but I think there are things that we can see that we can continue to grow together in. And so if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start reading at verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a blue Bible in the seat in front of you, and it's on page 10. So I want to encourage everyone, whether it's on your smartphone or whether you brought a Bible or grab that Bible there in front of you and walk with us as we look at a few scripture passages. And we look at this guy who once again wasn't a perfect dad, but who made some great decisions that impacted his kids. And his name was Abraham. You may have heard of him before. Abraham was known and is known um, in the Jewish faith as the father of many nations. Whenever he was a little bit younger in his life, he got this promise from God that his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God came to him and said, Abraham, you're not even going to be able to count your kids and your grandkids and, and everyone that's going to come after you because of your family. And Abraham says, God, there's only one problem. I don't even have a kid yet. And my wife's already getting to the age where we can't have children anymore. We're kind of past that age of, of having kids. And so there's one problem, God, we, we don't see how this is going to work. And so Abraham did what so many of us do. They kind of said, okay, God, I'll take over. I'll try to fix it on my own. I don't know if you've ever done that, guys. Um, I've tried to fix stuff on my own. It never works out really well. And that's what Abraham did. He actually slept with his wife's servant, and they had a kid. And so Abraham thought maybe that's how God's going to fulfill this promise. But that turned out really bad, and it caused jealousy in the family. And now his wife, Sarah, is like, I can't have a kid, but the servant woman has a kid. And so it just kind of destroyed their family when Abraham tried to do it on his own. And so God came again and said, Abraham, I've still got this promise. I've not forgotten about you. When Abraham reaches 100 years old, he finally sees the fulfillment of that. 100 years old, and he has this son, Isaac. 
And Isaac grows. He goes through the baby years, becomes a toddler, becomes a young kid. And, and he's growing up into a young man when we finally get to this story here of what we see Abraham doing, one of the moments where Abraham did something right in his life. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and God said, Abraham, and he responded, here I am, Lord. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, which I shall tell you. And so as you read this kind of a crazy story, God is testing Abraham's faith. And he says, take Isaac and you're going to sacrifice him on the mountain of the Lord. And so Abraham wrestles with this, but he obeys God. This is a very difficult thing. And he goes to the mountain. And in verse 11, we pick up the story again. And this is what it says when they're on the mountaintop. The angel of the Lord called out from heaven to Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responded, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, what's going on? If you're a parent in this room, I'm sure there have been moments where you wanted to strangle your kids, right? Where you wanted to kill them, where you've told them, hey, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. There may have been moments like that in your life, but, but what's taking place here? God is testing Abraham. And it's a question in Abraham's life. God knew that he was not actually going to sacrifice Isaac, but he's testing his faith as to what's happening because God wants to know, Abraham, who's really first in your life? See, for years, Abraham had held on to this promise. He had this promise, and now God is asking, what's more important, my creation or the creator? Is it the promise that you have, or do you trust my provision? Do you trust that I'm God? It was a testing of Abraham's faith. What was Abraham actually putting his trust in? Was it Isaac, or was it still God? Did he still have faith in who God was? This was a tremendous test of who Abraham was and of his love towards God. And he has to walk up this mountain, and he thinks, God, this could be the end of this promise that you've given me, but yet there's still this trust in his life. See, Abraham in this moment makes a decision. I'm going to put God first. And I want to challenge you in this church. Is that a decision that you've made in your life? For your kids, for your grandkids, for future generations, have you made that decision? You know what? No matter what happens, no matter what takes place, I am going to put God first. As I mentioned, this had to be a tremendously hard thing. He's saying, God, after all of these years, now you're asking me to give up this promise. I've waited all of this time, God. I don't understand this. And Abraham could have rebelled and said, God, there's no way you're taking my son from me. You promised this, but he doesn't. He says, God, you're first in my life. And as I'm wrestling through this story, and there's so much in this that's difficult to understand, the thing that stood out to me is what was that like for Isaac? You know, as he looked back, he never had to question God's provision because on that mountain, God provided the sacrifice. He never had to question whether Abraham, his father, truly loved God, whether God was the most important thing because he saw his father's faith being tested time and time again and God coming through. Abraham put God first in his life. No matter the cost, no matter what he faced, God was premier in his life. God was the very first thing. And Isaac, his son, knew that. 
And I wonder how many of us in our life that we've set that example for our kids, that we've set that example for others, that others can look at our life and they see you as the spiritual leader. They see you as the head of the household and they know unwaveringly, unquestionable, that God is first in your life, that nothing will sway you, that if your faith is tested, that you will put your trust in God no matter what it is you face. See, dads in the room, I want to challenge you. Our kids need to see more of that in our life. Our kids need to see more moments like that, that whenever we're facing difficulty, that God is first in our life, that he has our trust, that he has our attention. They need to see us as the spiritual example and that church and things of following God don't just happen inside of these four walls, but as a dad, you're living out that spiritual example every single day of your life in worship, in the word of God that you're following and that you're leading the way. Do your kids see that in your life? Do they look at you in the way that Isaac knew that about Abraham because his faith had been tested? Do they see and do they know God? And I see something amazing in my father's life. I see that spiritual example, that spiritual leadership. Our kids need that from us. I've shared this story before, but I grew up going to church quite a bit as a young person, as a little kid. In the church that we attended, they had Sunday morning and then Sunday evening services. Some of you guys may remember this if you've been in church for quite some time. And so you would go to church in the morning just like this and then go home and eat lunch and maybe take a nap or get stuff done. And then you'd come back in the evening. Well, as a kid, it made Sundays really long. And so by the end of Sunday night, sometimes as the minister was speaking or as whoever was talking, I'd fall asleep um, under the front pew right there. In our, in our church. They were kind of the benches, the padded benches that churches used to have. And so I remember one Sunday we, we came back, I was tired. And so I had fallen asleep under this front pew and there was this guest speaker there. And he's talking and I'm kind of going in and out of sleep and I can partially hear what he's saying and I can partially understand it. And then I'm kind of dreaming. And then all of a sudden I hear him read this passage from scripture. Although I didn't know he was talking about scripture. I thought he was just saying it. And he reads this passage that Paul, this writer of the New Testament said, where he's talking to the church and he says, hey, I pray in the spirit more than all of you. And as a little kid, I just heard him say that. And before my parents could grab me, I jumped out from underneath that pew. I ran up right to the stage and I said, you don't pray more than my dad does. And everyone in the church just lost it. My mom's trying to grab me before I can embarrass them anymore. And everyone's kind of laughing and the the minister's trying to recover there. And it was kind of a funny scenario, but I said that not just because I loved my dad growing up, but because I honestly believed that. You guys, I can remember morning after morning growing up, waking up to hearing my dad praying. Time after time, seeing my dad sitting in a chair, opening up God's word, reading scripture, talking to us, doing devotions with us, challenging us. I really believe that, that no one prayed more than my dad did because I saw that in his life. And men in this room, I want to challenge you, the kids, the the kids around you, the kids in your own life, the kids that God has placed inside of your life, they need to see that in your life. They need to have that same conviction that you're a person of prayer, that you're a person of faith, that you put God first in your life, no matter the situation, no matter what you're going through, that God is first in your life and that other things work. The other things, the sports and the activities that your kids are involved in, your relaxation, your friendships, all of those things that are vital in our life, that they don't take precedence, that they don't take the place of God being first in our life, that our kids see that spiritual example inside of each and every one of us and that we're leading the way, not just the church, 
Not just the kids, pastor, not just the student, pastor, but you as an adult, you're leading the way that other kids can see in your life. You're following that example that you're teaching your daughters to be women of God, that you're teaching your sons to be men of God, that you're setting that example for them in everything that you're teaching them, you're teaching them to put God first. And how does that happen in our life? Let me give you just a few practicals there of putting God first. It comes when we ask our kids spiritual questions. We ask our kids spiritual questions. We talk to our kids about what God is speaking to them about, about what they're reading about in scripture, what God is doing in their life, if they're praying, if they're listening to the voice of God. And I'm not just talking about when they're older, I'm talking about when, they were, when they're young. I can remember growing up and my mom would look at my dad and say, Angel, they're not going to understand that. That's too deep. It's too difficult for them to understand that part of the Bible. And my dad always challenged us in that, to listen to God's voice, to hear his voice, to talk about things that are spiritual. Do you do that as a parent? Do you ask your kid spiritual questions? And some of you, you may be sitting in this room kind of thinking the opposite, like, Aaron, that's a great thought, man. That's a great message. But my kids are already out of the house. Like maybe I should have known that as a younger parent, or or this is a great message for young dads or young moms, young parents to do that. But I'm talking to adults in the room. Are you still asking your kids those spiritual questions? It's amazing. It was just me and my brother growing up. So me and Michael, we're about 13 months apart, so we're really close in age. We're in our early 40s. My dad's in his mid to late 60s. And yet every three weeks, we still ask each other spiritual questions. We'll call, we'll send an email, and we'll ask each other, what are you doing to love Jesus? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? What are you doing to love your family right now? How are you honoring your wife? Are you looking at anything that you should not be looking at? Are you looking at anything pornographic? Like, is there any impurity in your life that is not respecting your life or loving her in the way that God has called you to? How are you handling your finances? How are you handling your physical body? Like, are you taking care? I'm in my 40s, and yet my dad is still asking me these questions. Why? Because we need that in our life. We need people that are going to challenge us spiritually. And you may have said, you know what? I wasn't saved. I wasn't really following Christ when my kids were growing up. You still have breath in your lungs. It's not too late. If you're a father, you have that ability to set that example and to ask your kid, kids those questions and to challenge them to grow and develop in their relationship with God. It's putting God first in our life. It's not only asking those kinds of questions, but it's letting them see you pray. Whether it's times when you're together during the holidays, if it's praying over them before they leave and head back home, if they're little kids, if it's praying over them before you put them in bed at night, if it's reading God's word, you let them see you as that spiritual example. Abraham had that in his life. Isaac saw that, that God was first, and it made an impact for future generations. Dad's in the room. What are you doing to set that spiritual example, to put God first in everything that's happening in your life? The second thing that I see from this dad that was not perfect, but he did some things that were right, are in Genesis chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles open, you can turn there really quickly. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1, we see Abraham is getting ready to die. Isaac is now a grown man. And this is the part of the story that we pick up on. Now, Abraham was old and well advanced in years. Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, and the Lord had blessed Abraham and all the things that he had done. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, 
that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country and to my kindred, and you will take a wife for my son Isaac from there. Now, what's going on in this story? What's the second thing that we see here in the life of Abraham? Is that he was involved in his son's life. This story may seem a little weird. The servant's putting his hand on Abraham's thigh. For some of us, that's a little bit too close for comfort there. But that's what they did in that time to make a covenant. And he looks at him, and this is what he says. Hey, you're going to help pick out you're going to help pick out a wife for my son, Isaac. Abraham's speaking into what's happening there. Now, for us, that's weird. We don't do arranged marriages, and that's not what I'm talking about this morning, you going out and doing that. But we do see that Abraham is actively involved in the life of his son. He knows what's going on. He knows the season of life that he is in. And in that culture, he helps pick out the person that is going to spend the rest of their life with Isaac. And Isaac trusted his dad to do that because he knew his dad knew him well, that he knew what he was like, who he would like, and the things that he needed in his life. So there was obviously that trust. And although we don't do that in our culture, that would be really weird. How do we as fathers show our kids that we're actively involved in their life? Because we need to be. We need to have those moments where we're engaged with our kids and where we're talking with them and where we understand what's going on in their life. And I see so many parents that as their kids get older, they kind of disengage. Like we're there for moments to tell our kids what to do, to kind of give advice, but we're not listening. We're not following through. We're not really familiar with what is taking place or what's going on in their life. And if you're a parent here in this room, I want to challenge you that you would listen to what your kids have to say, that you would be actively involved, that you're more than just a taxi service to get them to and from their sports games, but that you're actively involved in their life, that you're engaged with what's happening and what's taking place. I heard this quote one time, and I tried to carry that into our kids' teenage years, and it was simply this. It was, your kids, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Your kids don't care how much you know as a parent until they know how much you care. Parents, I want to tell you that your kids need to know that you're concerned about them. They need to know that you love them that you have their best interest in mind. It comes easier whenever you're giving advice and whenever you're speaking to them, if they know that, that you're concerned, that you care about them, that you're actively involved in their life and you know what's going on and what's taking place. That's what Abraham is doing in their customary, in their cultural way. He's saying, Isaac, I'm concerned about your future. I want to be someone who speaks into what happens and into future generations and into your life and into your family. I want to be an active part of what's going on there. And parents, in the same way that we can find in our culture, we need that for our kids. We need parents that are engaged, once again, that are not too busy with work, but we're listening to what it is that they're saying. We're listening to what is going on in their life, to what's taking place around them, that we're concerned with what's happening. Our kids know this is what happens in our household. We've had this conversation ever since they were little, but we've said, hey, whenever you start to date, whenever you find someone that you're interested in, we're going to be a part of those conversations. We're going to talk to you about that. And so they know that those conversations will happen. They know those conversations are coming. For some of them, they're at that age where we start to talk to them. And so anytime they come home and they say, hey, I'm interested in this boy or this girl, I think they li I like them. They know that the first two questions that are going to be asked is, why do you like them? 
You've got to be able to answer that. Is it that you think they're cute? They're funny? You guys have the same hop? Like, why do you like them? The second question that we're going to ask after they can tell me, hey, I do actually like this person, is what's their relationship with God like? I'm going to ask them that as a parent. Now, this is typically my kids' response as we've walked through a, a few kids with this is, yeah, they go to this church, and I stop them and say, that's not what I asked. What's their relationship with God like? Because I realize as a pastor, there are people that sit in church services all the time, but I want something more for my kids. I want, I want to know that they're going to be with someone who loves Jesus, not someone who's got it all figured out or who's perfect, but someone who wants to follow after Christ and someone who's going to give their life to Christ. I want that for my kids. And so we have these difficult conversations. You guys, just because they're in a pastor's home does not mean everything is easy. Our kids know that. We lean into awkward conversations. We talk about difficult things. We talk about what they're looking at and what they're putting in front of them. We talk about conversations that they're having at school. We are actively involved. And if you're, you're a parent and your kids are entering into those teenage years, you need to be actively involved. You need to know what's happening on their social media. You need to know the conversations that they're having. You need to know the friendships that they have. You need to be involved just like Abraham was in Isaac's life. What he's saying is, I want to know what's going on. I want to be a part of that. We as parents, we need to be that involved in our kid's life. Once again, engaged in what's taking place. And the sad truth is we don't have that example in our life many times. When you read the statistics, most parents only have a meaningful conversation with their kids for less than 10 minutes a day. And here's what I mean by meaningful conversation. Meaningful conversation, parents, isn't go clean your room, go do this. Hey, why don't you pick up after yourself? No, meaningful conversation is, hey, what's going on in your life? What's taking place? What are you feeling right now? What are you going through? What's school like? Where you ask a question and then you stop talking and you listen. That's meaningful conversation. And our kids are inundated with media. Statistics say six to seven hours a day are what kids are interacting with media, both in school and out of school, that they're being affected by the culture around them. And yet parents, so many times we think 10 minutes of conversation is going to change that. It's not. You need to be actively involved in your kid's life. You need to know what's going on and what's taking place and what's happening for the people that God has placed around you. And the practical application of that, once again, is just engaging in conversations. It's talking to your kids. It's know, knowing what's going on in their life and what's happening. The last thing that I see in Abraham's life, and my last point, is simply this. Leave a spiritual legacy. Leave a spiritual legacy, parents. When you read about Abraham throughout Scripture, it's this crazy thing. Whenever you read about him, there's something that's said over and over again. When they reference God, the God that we read about in Scripture for generations, this is how they reference him, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Whenever they thought about who God was, they thought about the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac, and the life of Jacob, this spiritual legacy that these three men, men left. This grandfather, this father, this grandson, this kid, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they left for those that were coming after him. And I just want you to stop and think for a second, what kind of spiritual legacy am I leaving? And now I'm not just talking to fathers in the room, I'm talking to everyone in the room. What kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving? See, some of your stories may be, God, we never had a kid of our own, but you're still called to leave a spiritual legacy. Some of you may be like, hey, our, our kids are out, they're already grown. For your grandkids, you're called to leave a spiritual legacy.
You're called to impact and, and to bless and to minister to others. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, it says this, the name of the righteous is a blessing to those around them. The name of the righteous is a blessing to those around them. And in your life, what kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving for those that God has placed around you? It can be for your own kids. It can be for other kids that God has placed in your life. Are you leaving a spiritual legacy? Are you making an impact? When they think of God, do they think of that reflection inside of your own life, who you are, what God has done inside of you? That's what we see in Abraham's life. He made a lot of mistakes, you guys. He messed up a lot of things. But there are some things that he did right in instilling God being first in his son's life and being actively involved in, in his kid's life and in leaving a spiritual legacy. And that's my prayer for you in this room this morning is that for everyone in this room that you would put God first. If you're a parent, that you would live out that spiritual example for your kids. Parents, I'm telling you, it's not too late. Your kids may be teenagers. It's not too late to start right now those last few years that you have with them. Your kids may be really small. They may be in that infancy or that toddler stage. It's, it's not too early to start with them, to be that example, to put God first, to pray, to read God's word, to begin to build relationships right now where you're actively involved in your kid's life. If they've moved away, to reach out, pick up the phone today, write a letter this week and say, hey, I don't want to lose that relationship. I want to be a part of your life.